Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or go anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments. Where bold moves require confident blueprints. Where you can accelerate transformation through consistency. Where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at SAIC.com cloud. Willie Aaron's life as a musician has taken him many places, both literally and figuratively. A professional musician since his early 20s, Willie co-founded an influential folk pop group called The Balancing Act, which released three critically acclaimed records on IRS Records, toured extensively and developed a loyal cult following. Willie subsequently became a coveted studio and touring musician, playing guitar and keyboards for people like Ricky Lee Jones. The Bangles' Susanna Hoffs, Michael Penn, and scores of others. So, let's join Willie and Elliot as they discuss life in general and, of course, music. Okay, so we're speaking to Willie Aaron today, and um, I don't know the best way to describe you, Willie. You, you're one of those guys that um, kind of like underneath the radar, but, you, but you're, you're all over, that kind of thing. 
Yeah. You, you, you started out with the balancing act on IRS records. Correct. Three albums, is that correct? Yeah, three albums, that's exactly right, yeah. And uh, they're, they're all um, like cult, cult favorites, you know, they're, they're cult. Yeah. We had, you know, we were, we were, um, we were together from 1983 to 1989. And, you know, we were loosely part of, you know, kind of like this, uh, well, we we weren't really part of any scene, really, but uh, there was, you know, a a sort of a conscious effort to, you know, we were really into songwriting, we were into harmonies, acoustic guitars, we were also into like jazz and dissonance and avant-garde stuff. So we kind of mixed a lot of stuff together. Um, and we had, I would say, a very small but dedicated audience. Um, we did touring. Um, you know, we were on IRS, like you, like you had mentioned. Um, we toured with groups like 10,000 Maniacs. Uh, we toured with They Might Be Giants. With um, uh, We played a, a party for REM in LA at the Palomino Club, which is no longer there. Um, we were, I always like to describe this as... Um, you know, in the 80s, everybody was really big sounding and we were very small sounding. We wanted to convey, you know, um, musical invention with intimacy. We wanted like both things. Um, so that was not um, currency at that time. You know, everybody wanted like big anthemic, you know, like either hair metal or big anthemic rock. And we just, you know, we were not into that or, or just wasn't what we were uh, doing. So that was from 1983 to 1989. Uh, and then um, I, uh, I became a uh, session uh, guitar player, multi-instrumentalist. I played with um, uh, Michael Penn. I played with Victoria Williams, Peter Case, Dave Alvin, um, people like that, you know, great singer songwriters. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, then I had a band called Spanish Kitchen in the 90s, which became mystery pop. Uh, and we were produced by the late uh, Doug Figer from the Knack, um, who was a good, very, very good uh, treasured friend. He he essentially acted as our manager too. He was an incredible person. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I got encouraged by uh, a couple friends, um, Gary Calamar, uh, who's a music supervisor now, who was the Balancing X manager, uh, and uh, my dear friend Van Dyke Parks, uh, who's a uh, th- both of them encouraged me to get into film and television uh, scoring. So I became a film and TV composer for years, uh, for, which I've been doing for over 20 years. Um, television shows, commercials, trailers, uh, music library, film and television, a lot of, you know, a lot of different things. But I always uh, uh, kept uh, one foot in performing because uh, it's, it's sort of one of the, you know, one of the, um, the things I love to do the most is to, is to play live. Um, and one of the things I like to do most is drop names. I'm a name dropper. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me some of the guys you you work live with. The list is incredible. Oh boy. Ah, uh, jeez. Um, Ricky, well, Ricky, Lee, Ricky Lee Jones. Ricky Lee Jones, I played with, yeah. Um, in, in the Wild Honey Orchestra, which is this uh, collective that I'm part of in Los Angeles. There's a uh, a group of all star musicians, um, and we do these annual charity concerts uh, to raise funds and money for autism. Um, uh, my friend Paul Rock, who's an uh, incredible uh, music lover, he has a, a, a highly autistic son. Um, and so uh, to sort of pay back, you know, his passion for music, uh, we've done um, these uh, charity shows every year uh, for, for a while now. Started in 19, in the early 90s. Uh, we did Pet Sounds live uh, start to finish. 
then um, that was before Paul had kids. And when he had uh, Jake, his son, uh, we started doing these fundraising concerts. So we've done, we basically pay tribute to a musical act every year. So we did three years of Beatles albums. We did, and Rusty Anderson from Paul McCartney's band played with us. Uh, Pete Anderson from, um, not Pete Anderson, uh, Pete Thomas from Elvis Costello's band uh, played drums. Uh, we did um, a tribute to the Beach Boys with Al Jardine. We did a tribute to Buffalo Springfield with Richie Fure. We did a tribute to the band with Garth Hudson uh, playing with us. And uh, before COVID, the last musical event uh, that we were all, uh, live musical event that we were all part of before COVID hit was uh, The Love and Spoonful. And with the surviving members of The Love and Spoonful with John Sebastian, Steve Boone and uh, Joe Butler. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's you know there's a, a ton of I mean I'm 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 leaving out a boatload of people I mean you're leaving, you're leaving out the eight list too you leave you out some of the biggest and some of the uh, most iconic musicians so we'll get back to that we'll, we'll we'll backtrack on that um so I'm I'm assuming Van Dyke Parks played on the uh, um uh, a smile project you did he did not he did really? not actually he um Van Dyke I think is kind of done with talking about or being associated with Smile, he he did it a lot, and he did a ton of interviews for it, uh, and he and he was present when uh, when they were performing it, you know, in, in Los Angeles at Disney Hall. Um, but I think he's I think he's just moved on to other stuff. I think he's kind of, um, you know, he's getting up there, and I think he doesn't want to. That that was a small part of his musical oh, legacy. He's absolutely a genius. He's he's one of the most important people in my life. Uh, he's been, you know, um, I, I would be, it would be an understatement to call him a mentor. Um, but I don't know that he would even view it as such. I think it's just like, it's just such a part of his giving nature. Um, but he's been a huge part of my, of my musical trajectory for sure. Great, great, great musician. Very, very, um, he's one of those musicians, musician type guys where. Absolutely. Not involved. You don't know the name really. But he's been involved in everybody's life from yes the beginning of rock, and people just don't know who he is. Yeah, uh, you know, you I don't know if you know this or if your if your uh, audience uh, may not know this, but um, Van Dyke's brother Carson uh, wrote um, something stupid, the uh, the duet with Frank and Nancy Sinatra. Now, is Neil yeah. Parks related to him too? Neil Parks, I don't no, believe Leon, so. Neon. Leon Parks. Ne Neon. No, no, it's Neon. Oh, Neon. Oh, Neon Park. I don't think it's Neon Parks. I think you're talking about Neon oh, Park. Okay. I no, I, I don't. I don't think they're related. Because okay. Neon did the um, most of the iconic covers for the Little Feet. Sure did. Little Feet. Sure did. Yeah, sailing shoes and all that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah he, uh, brilliant artist. Okay, so um, we have a lot to talk about. You, um, you like me, came from a middle class Jewish family. Yep. And, um, uh, yeah, my parents were Holocaust survivors. Yes. Uh, my my dad was from Poland and my mom was, was from Lithuania, uh, and they um, met at a, at a displaced persons camp in Prague uh, right after the war in 1945. They got married in 1946. They lived in Germany of all places for a few years, um, and then they came to Los Angeles in uh, 1949 uh, with my mom's parents. Uh, my maternal grandmother's brother had uh, come to America in the mid 30s. Um, he left after he saw what was happening with Hitler. So he escaped Europe. Uh, he came to St. Louis and then uh, got married and came to Los Angeles. And um, 
uh, he and his uh, wife sponsored my family, my mom's, my mom and dad and my mom's parents. They all came here together. Yeah, those, um, you know, it's not that far in the past that everybody's been touched by the whole, you know, I, I was telling you in one of our past, uh, um, you know, talks that um, Lioska's mother came from, uh, she was a Holocaust survivor. Right. And he has an album coming out. I actually have permission now to play it. I will send oh, you a great. copy. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll be out in another month or so. Um, and I told him about you. And it's amazing how many people um, that I speak to. Genya Ravon, you know Genya? Yes, yeah, I know I know she is. I've never Genya met her. Genya yeah. actually was in a camp. Oh, crazy. As a child. and Crazy. Um, Bill Graham escaped, Bill, you know. Yeah, but Genya um, lost her brothers. They, they, they didn't survive. But then she came to New York with her parents from Poland. Hmm. And um, it's really quite amazing how... Um, a lot of our, um, uh, you know, a lot of the people our age, musicians and stuff, have that as um, part of their uh, DNA. And it's, it's, it's absolutely. I mean, I meet more and more all the time. Yeah. Uh, one, of my, one of my really good friends is uh, a renowned bass player, Bob Glaub, mm -hmm. um, and Bob's mom is a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. Um, yeah so less and less survivors left, and um, for sure. For sure, and, and you know, I, I'm really thankful that guys like you, like Lee, uh, are keeping the word out there because um, you know history is bound to repeat. Absolutely. And well, we, yeah, we see it now. Um, so yeah, I'll get you a copy of that. I'll do it. I'm writing it down now. Um, right. So um, that's that. You're working. So do you keep? Um, I, I do. You keep, I know you're. I don't know how to put this, but. You tend to be a little more religious than me. Are you still? I'm, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't call myself religious. Um, I do, you know, I, I do. Uh, um, I mean, I have great reverence for the Jewish tradition, um, yeah. and you know, I am a cantor as well. Uh, and and um, you know, the synagogue that I belong to um, was where I uh, uh, became friends with Leonard Cohen. Uh, Leonard Cohen and my, and my dear friend Larry Klein, um, uh, who is uh, Joni Mitchell's ex-husband and an incredible bass player and producer, uh, and Marvin, of course, my dear friend and partner in the Holy Brothers. And uh, uh, also uh, Peter Himmelman. Peter, well, no, Peter, yes, Peter Himmelman was not part of that synagogue, but, oh, okay. but Peter, I, I would say, another one of my dearest friends and, and a beloved, incredible friend, a person who I've played music with, toured with, um, he's, he's an absolute brother to me. I mean, I would say Peter is, you know, he's Orthodox. So Peter, I would say is much more, uh, religious than I am. Right. You, are you familiar with Mark Benno? I know who he is. Hey, Mark, Mark Benno, you know, he worked with Leon Russell, worked with Rita. Yes. Mark, Doors. Mark Benno's uh, grandfather was the biggest cantor in Texas. Had no idea. Neither did I until I became friendly with Mark. Is that funny? You know what else I found out is, um, uh, my, well, I don't know if you know my friend Denise Kaufman. Uh, yeah. Denise was in a, a band called the Ace of Cups mm -hmm. uh, from San Francisco. And she was like one of the original uh, pranksters, Mary Pranksters. She was on the bus with Ken Kesey and stuff. Um, her family was like Jewish royalty in San Francisco. Um, and she was one of the original hippies. You know, she was friends with the, with the airplane and the dead and, um, uh, 
when you think about, there's a lot of, I, I just started to research this. There was a, a huge Jewish uh, movement or uh, involvement in the San Francisco um, psychedelic scene in, in the Barney, mid to late 60s. Half Jewish. Um, yeah. Let's see, Yorma, Yorma's uh, mom's Jewish. Uh, Country Joe, uh, I, I, probably the whole fish, I think. Barry Melton, uh, uh, Chicken Hirsch, uh, Dave Cohen, um, Dave Freiberg, you know, like it's like you go down the list of all those bands and it's like, it's ridiculous how much involvement um, was, was, was was made by Jews. The strange part is that generation came from the Holocaust survivor generation. Yes, Elliot, that's right. The whole entire, that's what I'm saying. It was, you just, it's the DNA in that was so involved that um, and people don't realize it until later on. Um, well, there's al there's also a thing where like um, there are people who who are Jewish who you would never think would be. So I'll tell you a funny story. When we were um, in the Wild Honey Orchestra, when we were rehearsing for the uh, the Buffalo Springfield um, uh, tribute show with Richie Fure, uh, one of the uh, guest musicians was Don Randy. And Don Randy was part of the Wrecking Crew uh, in the mid '60s. Don played on a gazillion, uh, you know, those you know great uh, uh, records, you know, that were, that was coming out of LA in the mid '60s. All those hits, you know, by the Beach Boys and, you know, the Mamas and Papas and all that stuff. And uh, so back, uh, so we're in rehearsal, and he starts talking about being a young kid uh, from upstate New York playing um, playing in the Catskills. And I looked at him, and I go. Randy's not your real last name, is it? What's your What's your real last name? He goes Schwartz. <laughs> well, <laughs> so of course, and Don is the owner of um, a great jazz club in um, in Los Angeles called the Baked Potato, right, right. which has been there since uh, about nineteen seventy. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of my uh, Frank Zappa alumni buddies played there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, they did, and um, yeah, also um, 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 talking about Randy's, Randy California. Absolutely right. Yep. And yeah, Randy, California, too. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then you go back to, then you go to the other coast, uh, half of the punk. Um, For sure. Punk, you know, you had Lenny Kay, you know, obviously Joey Ramone and, uh, you know, just tons and tons. Yeah. And tons. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I guess we do own the media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it's great. So um, you started, you got involved in kids music. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I, I, Peter Himmelman and I, like I said, we've been friends and, and, you know, musical colleagues for years. And Peter started doing, Peter has four kids that are all grown now. Peter's a grandfather now. Uh, uh, just bought a, a, I think a farm in upstate New York. I think they, they he moved to New York City a few years ago. Uh, then I think they left and bought a farm in um, in upstate New York, uh, he and his family. But uh, Peter was doing kids music in addition to his uh, incredible work as a, you know, singer songwriter, like a quote, adult singer songwriter. But he started doing these kids uh, records and he asked me to be involved in them. And this was before I even had my own kids. And uh, one of the records that I co-produced with him, uh, My Green Kite, uh, was nominated for a Grammy in uh, 2008. Um, so I just started, I think somebody, um, had heard, um, had heard that album and somehow got in touch with me and asked me to, um, kind of rework their kids music, uh, curriculum. And so I started having like a, a you know, an ancillary, uh, ancillary career as a children's music artist. 
Um, I haven't recorded any, you know, officially released CDs of my, of my own kids' music, but like I, I do curriculum for a bunch of different preschools uh, throughout Los Angeles, um, original songs and reworking traditional folk tunes. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've got a pretty varied, uh, you know, career in music. Yeah, but kids' music is a part of it too, for sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, one of the Zane brothers, uh, Dan Zane. Oh, Dan, Dan Zane's, yep. Dan, he's um, probably the biggest. Yeah, he's very, very involved in that uh, era, you know, yeah. that aspect. Of, yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, a, a friend of mine, uh, David Jackson from Van de Graaff Generator, remember that band? Sure, Progressive Rock, yeah. He actually um, has a company that um, uh, uh, kids that are very, very, um, have have very very bad uh, you know handicaps and things. Um, they put together a uh, an instrument. It's like the um, that harp that plays with lasers. Oh wow! I don't he's, know what that is. Yeah, and um, he's in the UK and he did a lot of work with it. Um, he, he keeps telling us about it at our meetings, and um, it's quite amazing how kids, you know, they could you know kind of move their necks. Their you know if they, anything they can move, they can break the laser. Uh, you know. The, the, you know, the laser beam and create wow. some type of a musical sound. And he's, and he's, um, he's very, very involved in that as well. Um, wow. Okay, so let's move on. What are we doing? What are we doing now? What are you working on? Uh, well, right now, uh, Marvin Etzioni and I, uh, aka the Holy Brothers, we are working on um, our second and third albums. Um, during COVID. The first album's incredible. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm telling you, when you hear these next two, uh, knock your socks off. Um, we, uh, I think we hit a new peak. So during COVID, um, Marvin and I, you know, obviously couldn't perform live. Sure. And so we took the opportunity while everybody else was sort of all the other um, musicians that we know who were primarily live performers or who made their, who made their, their income from, from live performance. Uh, they, you know, a lot of them suffered um, financially, but we decided rather than kind of get, um, you know, bogged down by, by negativity, we just decided to, you know, um, to channel the, the, the time and the energy into recording. So once uh, it became safe to re-enter recording studios, once there was a little dip uh, in the um, active COVID cases in LA, we started going back into the recording studio. <clears throat> and um, we, uh, uh, we've been uh, recording, uh, and Marvin's so prolific that, you know, he has like new songs pouring out of him pretty much at will. So, you know, when he's got a new song that, uh, you know, we sort of deem, uh, you know, recordable under the Holy Brothers moniker, uh, we, we go in and record. So we have, you know, that's pretty much what we've been doing um, has been really working on this album, the second album, and, and we'd like to have two uh, under our belt, um, you know, before all is said and done. So any, I'm assuming that eventually things will be as normal as possible. Any um, chances of you guys getting out out there on the road? I, I mean, I, you know, I, I we hope so. We, we certainly hope so. Um, I know that, uh, you know, right now, though, it's, you know, there's no, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, quote Marvin here. Uh, you know, Marvin likes to say, and I agree with him, that, uh, you know, we can't control the future. So, you know, everybody can project out, well, what's going to happen in a year? What's going to happen in six months? I mean, of course, when when the records come out, I'm sure we'll perform live because, you know, 
um, you know, we would love to do that. But right now, the main focus is just to focus on making the best um, recorded music that we can uh, and, and bring these songs to life. And that's what we're doing. Okay. And also during the, during, uh, the lockdown, uh, Marvin and I sang on um, uh, the new Timothy B. Schmidt album oh, wow. uh, that's gonna be coming out. Uh, I, th I, think, I think it's finished. Uh, and I know that the Eagles are out on, the, the, on tour right now. Um, so I think that's, so the person that uh, is our engineer, Jeff Peters, um, he's also co-producing and uh, engineering Timothy's record. So uh, through, through Jeff Peters, we got to sing uh, one song, uh, which was released as a single late last year, but that's gonna be coming out in that song of ours, uh, the song we sang on uh, called um, Cross That Line uh, is gonna be on the album. Now the the Holy Brothers, uh, what label is that on? I want you to. Uh, that's that's going to be on um, Regional Records, Regional. which is Marvin's, which is Marvin's imprint, um, under Six Degrees Records. But Regional Records is uh, is what we are uh, recording. That's our recording label, and that's uh, Marvin's uh, uh, boutique label. And your first album is on that label as well, the Holy Brothers. Uh, correct, correct. And, yeah, uh, and that album um, has so many layers to it. That first album. Oh, my name is Sparkle. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah, my name is Sparkle. It has so many layers. Like you really don't know where it's going until you get there, and it's like, what is you know uh, the main character? What 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 is his whole dick? You know that kind of thing. And until yes, it, it could be anything you want it to be. That's correct. I mean, the whole idea of you know of the character my name is sparkle we're not you know we're not sure what gender it is we're not sure really what sparkle is other except that sparkle is on a, on a quest you know to find you can say to find god or to find you know um you know just to find a purpose and um that the whole record really kind of deals with that quest and that search um i would say that this the, the next two holy brothers records might uh, I think they're a little less um, spiritually uh, inclined and just more, um, although the, the, their elements are always going to be there. But uh, we're we've just taken it to another level. It's the only thing I can do. I can't wait for you to hear it. Good. Can't wait for you to hear these these uh, these recordings. I'm looking forward to it. So now a lot of people think that I'm um, like I'm, I'm an idiot savant with musical knowledge. People think I'm I'm smarter than I am. Could um, because I do know a lot, but then I run into guys like you that make me feel like a a rookie in this whole thing. <laughs> you, you, you're quite you you really have a vast musical knowledge, and, and you really do. You um, you surpass you know. Uh, we're, we're crazy. The, the, everybody who I talk to is crazy when it comes to music. It tends yep. to be um, you know outside of family the most important thing in our lives. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, even over family, it's just, you know, that's how important it is to us. And um, you tend to, you're, you're a real scholar when it comes to music. I mean, I just, you know, I've just immersed myself in, you know, pretty much every aspect uh. of music, in, you know, obviously including the, the writing and production and recording and playing of music, but you know, I, I, I guess I tend to think of myself as like a, you know, like a junior musicologist too, because, 
you know, and obviously I have a, I have a pretty enormous record collection and instrument collection and stuff. It's just the thing that nourishes and sustains me. Well, I'm a, know, junior. I'm a junior. You're, you're a senior. Um, <laughs> well, thank because, you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, from, from the time I was playing piano and listening to music, um, it's just everything outside of my family. Like you said, it's everything that I've, you know, chosen to immerse myself in. And uh, I never, I, I, I'd like to think that I don't know anything. And I mean that sincerely because I like to stay curious. You know, um, I, don't, I don't typically like to be a person that says, well, you know, I like what I like and I'm not gonna listen to or uh, investigate anything else. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that would be, um, I don't think that would be musically healthy for my creativity and for my, um, just desire to just kind of like, no, that doesn't mean that I don't have. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. You know, definite opinions. I definitely do. But um, I tend to focus on, you know, stuff that, that I will get some, like I said, some nourishment from rather than, you know, spend a lot of time putting something down um, that, you know, it's like that's for other people. The, the, the thing that I like to think about now is if there's a type of music or, or, or artist, whatever, that doesn't float my boat, um, I rather spend the energy going, that's for somebody else. It's not for me. It's totally fine. Like, you know, there's there's certain, you know, types of music or certain, you know, bands or performers that I'm going to go to my grave having never investigated. And that's OK. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't I don't lose sleep over, you know, well, over. That's what I feel. But it's getting hot. Well, are, you, are there any new bands on the horizon that you can pick out? That you know, there's a there's a band. Uh, this was this just shows you how. Um, like the power of music. Uh, I was at a record store, I think last year, year before, and um, there was a uh, there was a, a, a record that was playing, and immediately I kind of like fell under its sway, and I and I went to the um, to the clerk and I said, "What is this?" He goes, "This is a band from San Francisco called the Asteroid Number no. Four, and they happen and my band happens to be opening up for them. You know, they're they're playing in two weeks. Here's the flyer." So I bought the record and I like became a fan. And then I went to go see them like two weeks later and they were awesome. They were great. They were, they reminded me a lot of, um, there's a, a band that I, that I used to be friendly with uh, in LA in the eighties called the Rain Parade. They were very much like the birds, um, like psychedelic birds, you know, jangly guitar type, type mm -hmm. music, which I, I, I tend to be, you know, attracted to anyways. 
so as it turns out, you know, when I went to go see this band, the Asteroid Number Four, they did like two or three songs off of the first Birds album. Um, and I was like, okay, I love these guys. And I went and talked to them, and it turns out that they know uh, my friend Matt Pucci, who's a guitar player in Rain Parade. Um, so it was just like a great example of like, you go in, you're curious, you hear something, you go, what is that? Um, and then like, I just became like, I bought the record and I saw them and I became a fan. And now, but it's harder and harder now because if I tell you how many albums that I fell in love with because of Tower Records. Oh yeah. Tower Records at 11 o'clock at night, you know, and they were, and they were playing it. Um, there's less and less venues like that where you can walk on and actually pick up an album. Well, I would say, I don't know if I agree with that, Elliot, because there seems to be, at least in Los Angeles, there seems to be an explosion of record stores. Really? And the, oh my God, I mean, the, the, yeah, it's like you blink and there's a new store, like, you know, opening up. I mean, the vinyl revival has really taken hold, I think all over the world, really. I mean, if you, if you like dug a little, if you dug a little bit and spent some time, you'd be like amazed yeah. at how many, I'm, I, think, I think I'm not sure about New York, um, but I know in LA, in the West Coast, there are a, a, a boatload of record stores opening and there's a lot of young, knowledgeable people, um, people who are like in their 20s, who, you know, champion bands that were completely ignored in the 60s and 70s, really? you know? Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm actually kind of optimistic for, um, for music, not current pop music, that's, you know, yeah, that's that's neither here nor there. But I, I mean, radio music, although although I must say that uh, Billie Eilish, my kids love love her. And I think she's great. I think she's the only one of the modern kind of like pop performers that to me like has like and her brother Phineas is an incredible talent. Yeah. Uh, they're the only ones to me that I really Saint, kind of Saint like. Vincent is interesting. What's that? St. Vincent. I love St. Vincent. I think she's yeah. Annie Clark. I think she's great. Wow. Yeah, she's great. Uh, the the women, uh, I think are are I think women are doing a lot of great things in music. Yeah. Um, there's a, um, a, a a guitar player out of England uh, named Gwenifer Raymond, okay. um, who kind of like uh, do you know John Fahey? Yeah, sure. yeah. She's kind of like um, she does stuff that's sort of like him, like sort of like open tuning guitar, uh, finger style, like you know, um, open tunings and stuff. I think she's great. Uh, yeah, a lot of the women performers I, I find I'm, I'm, you know, attracted to. I think St. Vincent is another real original, um, very nice wide vision. Um, but, you know, oh, and Yola, I think is, is great. There's like, a, there's a few. I'm going to throw a name at you. I'm talking to one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest guitar players that never got the, got the you know, got the recognition. I have an interview with Chris Spedding coming up. I love Chris Spedding. Are you kidding? Uh, it's my second it. or third talk with Chris. He's and, a uh, giant. I mean, you know, I have incredible. a lot. I have a lot of records that he's on. Yeah, he's just incredible. From Brian Ferry, you know. Last yeah. time I saw Chris play, he was um, working with Roxy Music. Actually, it was a Roxy Music tour. Him and oh Man yeah, yeah, him and Manzanera were the two guitarists. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. What, a, what a player. Incredible. Incredible. And, you know, I spoke. To, I spoke to Elliot Murphy a couple of weeks uh -huh. ago. And right. Uh, these, these are the guys that um, kind of slipped under the radar, so to speak. These, you know, you know. They, they, it's funny. It's funny how um, how music has a way of like I don't know. I want to. I don't want to call it self-correcting, 
but um, there are people who sold gazillions of records who nobody cares about now, right. you know? And there are people that sold nothing. Right. Like, um, I remember, did you see the Big Star documentary? Nothing oh. Can Hurt Me? So there's a scene in, in that movie where they're in a record store and like, I think the number one record at that store was Savoy Brown. Uh -huh. Okay, You cannot name now one person, young person, that is influenced by Savoy Brown. But if you mention Big Star to you know a, a, a twenty five or twenty six year old, uh, you know, Al, right? Exactly. Um, there's a whole you know uh, there's the, a whole uh, the the replacements. I, I saw the replacements. I think their first tour uh, in 1983. We actually opened the Balancing Act opened for them yeah. at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and it was hands down the worst uh, reception and worst uh, uh, time we'd ever gotten uh, as an opening act. Um, we were recording, we were in the middle of recording our second album, 1987, and our manager, Gary Calamark, um, says, hey, I just got off the phone with whatever, booking agency, we have an opportunity to open up for the replacements at the Fillmore. Uh, but it's like in a couple of days, you know, you guys want to do it. And our bass player, Steve Wagner, at that time was a huge replacements fan. So he, we were also chomping at the bit, drove up to, you know, from LA to San Francisco, um, we got there, they told us what time to get there, three o'clock in the afternoon, we get there at three o'clock and um, we were promised a sound check. And instead the, um, the replacements were on stage. I would say, I would say half of them were completely shit faced drunk. Mm -hmm. And um, they, it was the 20th anniversary that summer of uh, Sergeant Pepper, the release of Sergeant Pepper. So I think they were playing it over the Fillmore sound system. The replacements were sort of like miming along to it or playing along to it. And uh, then um, they said, okay, that's it. No sound check for anybody. They gave us a line check right before we went on. Oh. And uh, we, we usually did pretty well in San Francisco, but on this particular night, which was a, the Fillmore was packed. We had fans in the front, or, you know, the fans from Bal Bouncing Act fans in the front. We had fans in the back and the entire middle was like, boo, and, you know, oh. loud, hated us. Um, I was dodging Coke bottles. I dodged peanuts, you know, they were throwing all sorts of shit at us and it was and and you know we had we were it was absolutely the worst reception we'd ever gotten i think well but you remember it <laughs> never forget it yeah you remember it well, never forget it yeah. yeah but all those bands those um cult bands they're still you know they're still viable it's it's, it's it really is i think there's something about cult bands that that make people want to cherish them as like theirs right you know um the flaming groovies the you know big star velvet there's a velvet underground documentary coming out uh, you know in october bands that you know were completely under the radar uh back then have sort of you know through critics and through reissues and stuff have have gotten sort of a new lease on life so remember the winkies nope never heard of the winkies winkies backed um brian eno up on that tour he did when he left rocks Oh, no kidding. Okay. You remember the, um, there's a, there was a bootleg out, uh, Dolly's Car, I think it was called. Oh, yeah. Live album, Eno De Fever on it, one of the tunes on it. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow. Anyway, the Winkies, Philip Rambo, who was in the Winkies, uh, I'm friendly with Philip. He, um, he's, he's a Canadian living in the UK now. He had a great tune out years and years ago called Fallen, mm. a hundred years ago. 
But yeah, he still, it's amazing. He just put together um, an album he did with um, uh, what, Ronson, with Mick Ronson in his mm-hmm. band, you know. And wow. That. And um, it's just quite amazing how these guys, even though, um, you know, they, they never left the music scene, they, they found right. ways to keep it going. And it's, yep. it's really quite interesting. Like Philip was in um, that uh, Holy Holy band with Tony Visconti. Oh, right. Yes. Right. And that I know. Yeah, that they never have room for him on stage. So they told him, no, don't show up anymore. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, he was involved, you know, because Ronson's um, sister and daughter are in that band as well. Wow. I didn't know that. That's great. I love Mick Ronson. Yeah, I did too. And I saw him with, with Ian Hunter, you know, when I was a kid in the too. late 70s. Hunter Ronson. Right. Band. Fantastic. Yeah. I saw them at the Felt Forum in New York. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was a big Mott fan. Yeah, me too. Love him. Marvin too. Marvin, like one of one of Marvin's favorite bands. I mean, Marvin's older than I am. And um, you know, Marvin saw in LA, he was not really drawn to like the singer-songwriter, uh, like you know, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, although he did see Joni at the Troubadour doing Blue when Blue came out. But Marvin was always sort of an Anglophile. And in the early 70s, when he was a teenager, he was really into like the Kinks, Mata Hoople. Um, you know, any, you know, Bowie, huge Bowie fan. Flaming um, movies, even though they weren't really British. The they were great. Movies, I love them. The Flaming I love movies them. could be tossed into that category. Yeah, I love them. I mean, I listened to uh, um, Shake Some Action, the album, not long ago. And um, the, the last song on the album, I Can't Hide, I put that, I put that up against anything from the 60s. It's a great song. Yeah, I used, I used to love Flamingo. That was a great album. Yeah, it's a great album, too. Teenage Head, Flamingo, yeah, they they were they were really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. another band that keeps popping up in some form or other. Absolutely. Anybody left originally, but they, they still they're still all over the place. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. I have um, I speak to Morgan every now and then from Mott Morgan Fisher. Well, that's funny. Morgan Fisher, I think, um, had uh, he was friends with my partner in the Balancing Act with Jeff Davis. I think they had. I think Morgan was going to play keyboards um, with Jeff uh, back in the day. They were they were kind of friendly. And um, so yeah, I spoke to Morgan. I spoke to John Fiddler, who um, was in the um, offshoot uh, uh, British Lions. Oh yeah, I don't know. I mean, I used to see that record. I never. I don't think I've ever heard it, but I, I've seen yeah. it many times uh, at yeah. records. Well, John was in there. Morgan. All the guys from Mott wound up in there. And I have an interview coming up with Luther with Ariel Bender. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah, that's we, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke to Ariel. Uh, we're gonna be doing a formal one shortly. Um, yeah, I'm a big Mott fan, and you know, Ian Hunter is, is in his like early 80s now. Right, I, and he looks great and still but sounds he, uh, great. He, he walks like five six miles a day, and that's the, um, that's the key. You know, he, he had to cancel the tour because of his ears. Yes, I had tickets. Yeah, yeah. I had tickets goes, to go see the Mott reunion. I'm, I'm still pissed off that. Uh, well, it may be happening again because he just got these air, um, uh, these earphones that uh, get rid of the, uh, uh, the uh, buzz. The, the oh, that's great. That's so, great. So Morgan- I'll, tell, I'll tell you something. Um, you know, I saw. Uh, you mentioned Zappa earlier. Um, last month, um, I saw King Crimson and the Zappa Band. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, like. A lot of the people were, it was a good mix of young people and, and, and old farts like us. Yeah. Um, you know, incredible show. And I'm not like, I'm not generally one 
towards progressive rock. I mean, King Crimson are pretty much the only one, uh, the only band of that era that I that I truly love. Like the rest of them, you can have. It's fine. It's for other people. Like I say, it's not for me. But I do love um, I do love King Crimson and and the Zappa band, and it was a great show. That was great the Zappa night. band. They're, they're all buddies of mine. It was Mike? Uh, let's see, Mike Keneally. Mike Keneally. Uh, Scott, uh, Tun uh, Scott uh, Tunis. Scott was there. Uh, what's his name? Ray White. Yep, Ray White was the, Ray the White singer. Was there. Um, yep. Uh, the drummer was. Uh, I don't know the drummer. He's the guy who runs the Zappa Family Trust. Yes. Oh, uh, um, Joe. Um, yeah, Joe. Um, yeah. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joe, yeah. Yeah, that guy. And um, yeah, I know. I'm uh, very, very friendly with Ray. And yeah, I, I spoke to all, I speak to all of them every now and then. Um, you know Ed Mann? Say again. Ed Mann. Ed Mann, no. Ed was the, was the uh, marimba player, the uh, um, mallet player. Oh, was he? Was he the the? Uh, yeah, well, he went by a different name though, right? In the Zappa band? No, no, no. He it was Ed Mann in the band, but uh, yeah, he um he didn't want to do this tour. He just didn't feel right doing it. Oh, I see. I see. And, um, so um, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, they're. they're you know, I, I thought it was a good pairing, but Crimson is so much elevated than the Zappa band. Well, I mean, it's just like the the Zappa band, they they did, you know, a lot of the earlier tunes, but they also, it's just that era, the late 70s, 80s, it's just a lot of notes. <laughs> like I said to my friend, I go, there's a lot of notes up there on the stage. Um, the, the Crimson stuff, like Red and you know, they did in the Court of the Crimson King and 21st Century Schizoid Man. And th there's just so many memorable, great songs. They had three drummers, Tony Levin on bass, um, uh, Jock, uh, Jocko, I think, is the uh, guitar player. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Jeremy Stacy, one of three drummers. It was just an incredible trip, of course. Incredible. Mellotron, mm -hmm. like, they, it was just like a, a, everything you could have wanted. Choreography is incredible. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I said to somebody, it's like, you know, when you think of like prog rock, like Rick Wakeman or Keith Emerson and stuff, it's very showy for me. It's a lot of like sort of empty virtuosity. It's not really my thing, but but Crimson are like Stravinsky. There's real, like, it's like, it's it's not, um, it's I not virtual. It's not virtuosic. It's very composed. Them, I consider them punk prog. They're more of a punky type band, right? They're, there's just Crimson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's an anger, there's an aggression, or something that's like yeah. or a, like a, a a force that that I I, I find. Appealing. And I think Adrian Ballou had a lot to do with that to reintroduce it to them. Adrian, that's funny you mentioned him. He was um, I knew Adrian because when the Balancing Act were signed to IRS, before we got um, absorbed by the big label, IRS had a subsidiary label called PMRC, the Pr Primitive Man Recording Company. And the first two signings on that uh, to that label were the Balancing Act and Adrian's band, The Bears. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. So yeah, Adrian, know. you know, Adrian, like me being a big Beatle nut, um, Adrian had this band of of friends, uh, you know, side like a side band, and and uh, they were called The Bears. I have those uh, albums. And and so we toured with them. Uh, we did a whole West Coast tour with the Bears, uh, starting in San Francisco and wind, uh, sorry, in San Diego, and winding up in Vancouver, um, and and Victoria, British Columbia. And in fact, the last show uh, we played uh, in Victoria, uh, British Columbia, and we sang the song, the King song, Victoria, in Victoria, <laughs> with the with the Bears. 
oh. with Adrian. And Adrian, he he would always like watch us from the from um, uh, from the side, and he had you know expressed some interest in producing us. He's a, a wonderful guy. Really I love Adrian. But I think he um, gave a, a crimson their life back. I think he introduced. Well, yeah, he did. I saw them. I saw them during discipline. Right. I guess that would have been 1981. Mm -hmm. uh, and I loved it. I mean, uh, the hardcore old Crimson fans like were like, why are they trying to be like the talking heads? I thought they were great. Then I saw I saw Baloo. I saw uh, Baloo um, in the double. What, what they called the double. There was a, the, there was. Oh, a, the Crimson, the, the 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 double trio, I think it was yeah, or the double, double trio. quartet. I saw, yeah, I saw that at the Beacon, like. Um, I guess in the 90s, early 90s. 95, I think, yeah. yeah. And um, incredible, just incredible, yeah. incredible, incredible. Yeah, um, great stuff. Yeah, it is. So um, we, we wanted to talk about some other things we discussed yesterday. Sure. Um, you being the music fanatic, me being a music fanatic, the new, uh, we were talking about releases, new releases that are coming out. And mm -hmm. it seems to be a, the, the clouds opened up and they're falling from the sky. There's the, the yeah. new one every day, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, we we kind of zeroed in on the old things must pass release that came out about a month ago. Mm -hmm. Outside of the packaging, which was phenomenal, um, yeah, I, I kind of felt that the uh, records were. Um, it was kind of like an embarrassment at first. I didn't know. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I know this. You know, uh, sorry to the Beatle people out there, but I, I absolutely. I, I got through four songs and um, I, I, I mean, Danny Harrison, God bless him. I thought it was an abomination. And the reason I say that is for, for a few reasons. Um, I'm, I'm not anti, uh, you know, I know people, I know we're, you know, people like to remix things and people like to, you know, I'm not necessarily a purist, but, um, and, and this is also may, maybe an unpopular opinion. I think there's been, kind of a, a calculated um, effort to minimize uh, Phil Spector's involvement. And I know, well, look, we all know Phil Spector was an egregious, morally egregious human being. Um, we, we know, you know, we all know that uh, he was, you know, uh, probably mentally ill. Uh, we know, you know, how violent he could be, obviously. You know, he, he, you know, murdered someone and spent time in prison for it and died in prison for it. So let's put aside the moral judgment and of Phil Spector. Addiction problems, he had all kinds of different right. problems. So, so let's just for a second put aside um, the moral judgment of Phil Spector, the, 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 the man. Right. And let's take a look at Phil Spector, the record producer. Um, I feel like with the remix of All Things Must Pass, and I feel with the upcoming remix of Let It Be, um, uh, and the and uh, the the Plastic Ono Band um, re a box set too. Um, I feel like there's a concerted effort to go. You know, all this wall of sound, we don't want it. You know, and plus, you know, the guy that did it is a schmuck. Uh, you know, a murderer. Let's get rid of it. I understand it on a on on one level, but I think it 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 is a um, a rewriting of history. That then what I what I object to the most is for people that are listening via streaming, that's going to be the new remix is now going to be the version that people remember unless they actually 
do the research and go back and buy the original album. And the original mix is not available on the new box set. So I would, I'd feel a little bit better about it if the original mix was on the album, you know? Um, I just thought it was a, a, an egregious thing. And the other thing that I objected to was, you know, again, I, I know people who know Danny Harrison and think he's a wonderful guy and I am sure that he is. And I think he did a great job with the concert for George. I think he did his dad proud, putting that, you know, being part of the, one of the architects of that concert, bless him for that. But it, when your stated intent is, um, I wanna make a record, I wanted to remix this record so that it would sound, you know, contemporary or it would sound relevant to contemporary ears on a, for, for people listening on a Spotify playlist. I don't think that's the intent that I want anything to do with. No. You know, I, I like, or, or at the very least, if you are going to do that, make the original one available too. Now, if so I, people you know, can, I, I don't know if you remember, but George remixed it. I, I, uh, he, he did, and I have, I have that too, and I, I, too. I, I don't love it either. I mean, no. that's another thing, Elliot. Um, you know, there are producers are producers for a reason, and I think that the artist is not necessarily the arbiter of, of their own, of the best arbiter of their own taste. No. Because they're not objective. And I know that George told Danny, I never liked the way this record sound, it's too big, there's too much re reverb, there's too much echo, you know? And so Danny probably with the best of intentions went, okay, I'll, I'll do, I'll fulfill my dad's wishes and I'll remix it and I'll, and I'll remove all of that. So you're, but you're what I think is the guy than me, the way I looked at it was um, I'm Danny Harrison and I really don't have a career of my own. Let me see if I could get a little muscle off of this. All things must pass re-release. Well, I mean, look, Delia, to be fair, I think Danny is a, I think he's a respected uh, film and TV composer. I think Danny might be completely valid as a, as an artist in his own right. But I think this undertaking um, was, and I know it's getting like, you know, some people love it. And I, I was just reading an uncut and in Mojo, they both gave it like 10 out of 10 stars or whatever. For me, and I said this to a few people, um, um, I think on Facebook, it's like someone took a can of Vibe Be Gone and sprayed it all over, all over the, the new mix. I just think like if you take out and all of the atmosphere and, and you push George's vocals up so far front and the, you know, the, um, the instruments sound like they've been like you know recorded you know a block away i don't that, that's to me not the essence of what makes that record great the, the what makes that re record great besides the obvious brilliance of the songs and the arrangements and the playing is the whole atmosphere of it is so vibey and so um it's just like you're you're it's very immersive and i find like this this version um it's very dry and it's very kind of like, it's wooden sounding. Very it sounds sterile. like, yeah, very sterile. And it's like, it's a typical thing that people do. Um, I mean, I think what Robbie Robertson did with the band reissues is also completely unlistenable to me either, uh, as well rather. Um, when he remixed, you know, music from Big Pink, the, the Brown album, the band and uh, Stage Fright, which he resequenced as well. I mean, I think that's sort of like a revisionist history that uh 
Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. I think you know is unfortunate. It's it's not it's not what made those records stand the test of time. And that's what I'm afraid of with the Let It Be documentary coming out. I'm uh, with you. I'm with you 100. percent Paul McCartney is the last standing, you know, outside of Ringo, but Paul has the muscle. Yeah. And I think Paul's going to wind up. I think Let It Be is going to wind up being a Paul McCartney documentary. I hope not, man. But you might be right. I mean, I mean. Um, Again, look, I, and again, I, I'm, I'll watch it, of course. Yeah. You know, there's no bigger Beatle nut than me. Of course, I'll watch Peter Jackson's movie. I, I mean, and I'm, and I'm hoping it's going to be great. But um, I, again, I want Let It Be to be available too. I don't want the original Michael Lindsay Hogg movie to be like erased out of history, you know, just because, you know, Paul doesn't like the way he's portrayed in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, um, so... Yeah, we'll see. I mean, but but back to all things was passed. It's just like I I I don't I don't think I'm gonna buy it. I, I from what I've heard of it so far it is not my jam. You know, well I listened. I have a copy and I listened to it, and I kept saying to myself, I want to like this. <laughs> right. I want to like this. I mean, I I got I got the album. I don't know, 13, 14. Yeah. And I spent um weeks and weeks and the the jam, the Apple Jam. Right that album you know I looked, that was a third disc and a three disc you know yeah you know I've, I've got the original yeah and then i saw um i told you i saw george at bangladesh which was incredible long after that and i i really felt um it was always my favorite beatles solo album all things yeah a lot and, of people would agree with you and when this yeah. one came out i kept saying to myself nah this is a mistake i must have a bad copy of it this can't be this can't be what they're talking about because there's actually some songs where you hear the um, levels of the instrumentation just drop. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. That's it's true. Like, it's like it's not a mixer. All of a sudden you hear it go whoop, and wait, what happened there? Did is that a mistake? Did my uh, did this slip? Is there a problem with my system? And it wasn't. It was the disc. And um, yeah, you know, I, I just kind of feel that if you wanted to have it done, you know, I told you, I spoke to Alan Parsons. Alan said, why didn't they call me? I would have loved to have worked on that album. You know, yeah. there were guys, yeah. guys like Steve Wilson who, who did a brilliant job. Well, um, you, a guy like, uh, guys like Steve and Wilson are trusted for yeah. a reason. Yep. You know, they, 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 they're craftsmen at what they do. They have, it's, it's not just their lineage. It's not just like, you know, they're the son of, you know, they are music fans like Stephen Wilson, I know, is a music fan first. Yes. And I think that he 
you know, I mean, from, you know, I, I love what he did with the XTC records. I think he did a great job with those. Look what he did Phenomenal. With, look what he did with Crimson. Phenomenal. He made, Phenomenal. he made Aqualung sound listenable again. There wasn't a good copy of Aqualung. <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that because I, I mean, my late wife, God rest her soul, my late wife's least favorite band of all time was Jethro Tull. Okay. of all time as soon as she heard the flute and him singing she was like and just how much she she, she she's like jethro tell i hate that guy <laughs> she didn't even realize like so um i you know so i didn't really listen to them you know right. and then i bought uh recently uh, a couple of used copies i bought um stand up and i bought aqualon stand up i think is great from start to finish man aqualon i can't i can't hard for me to listen to you know a couple of great songs obviously but like i it's just it's not that's again i love stand-up but that's like the only thing i like by them really abrams, right what's that Nick abrams yeah yeah um so but but anyways back to the stephen wilson thing i mean i think like there are people who are talented that that can do well, you know good who, who can do good things but but you, uh you were talking about a producer and an artist not being maybe the same guy shouldn't be doing both. Yep. Well, when I spoke to Parsons, he said Parsons worked on um, the Raven, um, the Steve Wilson album, the Raven, who couldn't sing or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't, I don't know his solo. Anyway, but yeah. anyway, he called Parsons and had Alan do the um, producing on the parts that he wanted to sound like Parsons did. You know, he actually called Alan and said, can you make me sound like you did here? You know, that's great. You know, engineer it for me. I can't do it. You're the guy. That's who... great. That That's someone who knows how to get out of his own way yeah. and who, someone who trusts, you know, the intent that, that that's 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 merited, I think. Right. So if a guy like Steve Wilson trusts you to do his album. Yeah. Why wouldn't. You know, call up a guy like this, some guy who this is he's a hired gun. This is what he does. Right? And and he happens to be the best at what he does. Yeah. But even guys like uh, George Martin's son, he did a great job on the Beatles, you know, when he when he did the Beatles. I, I yeah, I mean, I, for me, it, it's mixed. I, I thought Sergeant Pepper, he did a fine job on. I thought the, the White Album, the, the, especially the bonus disc was great. I did not like what Abbey Road. I thought that was a record that did not need one scintilla no, it didn't. Of, of enhancement. It was none perfect. Of really, none of them really did. Yeah, exactly. None of them really did. But um, yeah. how about when he did the entire series? What do you mean? When he redid, when he remastered the Beatles, he did the entire Beatles catalog. No, not yet. The only huh? did Pepper, White Album, and Abbey Road. Um, oh. Uh, yeah, he hasn't done the early stuff yet, and I, I think that's probably coming down the pike too. The early stuff when they remastered him. Uh, uh, George Martin did. Oh, it's still George. Well, well, well. When the original CDs came out in '87, it was George Martin, but later, yeah. um, it was uh, um, uh, uh, the, the the team at Abbey Road. Now, oh. they went they went in and got well. The stereo one is digital, but the mono box is all from the original master tapes. Okay. So they, you know. Um, the, they, they did a great job on the mono. You hear a great story. Um, who told me the story? John Altman told me the story. Uh, Jeff Emmerich. Yep. Um, I think yeah, it was Jeff. He um, his job when he started working at Abbey Road. His job was to um, 
make sure all the masters were copied onto a, uh, you know, yes. tape. Anyway, he's there one night and there's no tape left in Abbey Road. They ran out of tape. Mm. So he said, damn, what do I do? You know, I got to do something. He runs. To, the only store left open was Woolworths. Wow. So it was like a dollar, these dollar uh, 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 little reels, whatever it was. And he takes them back and he records, you know, he, he gets his safeties. The next day he drives in and all the big shots at um, EMI, Abbey Road, are standing there and they rip them apart. They wanted to mm. fire them. They wanted to shoot them. How mm. can you put our biggest um, uh, commodity on a cheap tape like this? What the hell's wrong with you? Anyway, when they did the Beatles anthology decades later, they go to the masters and all the masters started crumbling. They had to bake them. The only yeah. ones that were good were the ones from Woolworth. <laughs> That's great. That's a great story. Yeah. That's fantastic. I didn't, I did, did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff told John Olden that story. And uh... Jeff came to the uh, rehearsals when we did uh, the Wild Honey Orchestra, when we did the White Album. Um, uh, Jeff was there. Uh, he came to the rehearsals. A really nice guy. Very, very nice. Um, and uh, Ken Scott came to the show. Uh, I guess there was a lot of antipathy between the two of them, uh, between Jeff and Ken, and, and they couldn't be in the same building. <laughs> so Jeff came to the rehearsals for the show when we did the White Album show, and then uh, Ken was at the actual performance. Speaking of, a, speaking of um, um, iconic uh, producers, um, I'm gonna be speaking to Chris Kimsey. Mm -hmm. Um, I, like, I've been contacting him for a bit. He's, he's in Greece now. He's coming back soon. We're going to be doing a, 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 an interview series. But Great. yeah, these are the guys that, um, you know. So what are we going to do about all things must pass? You don't have a copy of it yet? No, I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I don't have any interest in buying it. I mean, it, you know, I just, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a completist in that way. Like I, I, you know, except for, you know, obviously the, the Beatles stuff is a different story. I have all of that stuff. But like in terms of George Harrison on Things Must Pass, I'm happy with my original, you know, pristine 1970 vinyl copy. I'm totally fine with that. Um, I'll tell you what is a good, a good box set though, a new one uh, is the Beach Boys uh, Feel Flows yeah. box set, which is fantastic. That's, that's the opposite. It's like the opposite of all things must pass. It's um, it it documents uh, the Sunflower and Surf's Up albums, the okay. stuff that they were doing. You know when Brian was when Brian Wilson was sort of like not in a in a you know uh, yeah. a great state. Uh, but that's that's a great set. Both albums are among my favorites. Uh, Sunflower in particular, great album. Surf's Up, you know great Beach Boys album, uh, a lot of uh, great unreleased uh, Dennis Wilson songs on there, mm. uh, really good uh, alternate takes, um, a beautiful version of Till I Die, just acapella. Um, that's a, that's a, a great uh, reissue uh, box set. It's called, Feel, it's called Feel Flows. Feel Flows. I spoke Feel to Flow. um, somebody yesterday who was involved in the uh, Gem Records, Dennis, uh, uh, Brian Wilson release. Did you hear that? Which one now? Um, uh, Gem Records put out a mm -hmm. Brian Wilson tribute album. Oh, oh, right. I think Maureen. Um, yeah, Maureen uh, Pietoso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she had she had, had something to do with that, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think. Um, yeah, I, I know about that. I haven't heard it yet. I'm How is it? A copy. Um, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So I spoke to a Jonathan Pushkar, who's um, yes, 
youngest, I guess he's the uh, young gun there now. And my buddy, my, my dear friend, Mark Platt, um, who uh -huh. does, uh, runs Radio Candy. You should interview Mark sometime. Mark's a great guy. He does independent um, um, internet radio promotion. Um, he has worked Jonathan Pushkar pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, he's, a big, he's a big supporter of him. Yeah, Pushkar is pretty talented. And um, uh, he won't tell me who they're working on next, but they, they, they have a new tribute coming out. But um, that album kind of um, wet my whistle to go back to check out some of the Beach Boys stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I kind of missed the boat on the Beach Boys because, you know, I'm, I'm older than you. Yeah. Not as old as Marvin. <laughs> Listen to me, Marvin. Um, yeah, so anyway, I'm older than you. So that when I was like, when, when the Beach Boys were big, I was into like Frank Zappa, you know, the Mothers. Sure. You know, the Velvets. You know, I, I kind of, I was like a um, a snob, you know? The Beach Boys were kind of, you're, okay, you're AM, or, you know, Beach Boys, Monkeys, you know, they right. you know, kind of thing. That's how they were, that's how they were perceived. And it wasn't, well, they were very unhip for sure yeah, back then. And it wasn't just unhip, it was um there was just so much great music back then. Yeah. And um you couldn't you couldn't get to all of it. And, well that's and, for sure. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, so I got to the Beach Boys late and I'm really, really digging into them now. And I'm really, really enjoying it now. And um have you yeah, seen there there's a movie um that I'm in actually um called love and mercy uh which is um a biopic uh on brian wilson okay. and uh it it has um uh, uh let me see who, who's in it um uh paul dano uh, uh plays uh, the young brian and john cusack plays the later brian um and it's if you look it up i play one of the wrecking crew members uh, I'm in it for for a little bit um, while we're like we're, while Brian's recording Pet Sounds. Um, it's widely been regarded as one of the one of the very few um, like essential music biopics because most of them, as we know, are are you know are not great. Yeah. Most of them are are. Per but Love and Mercy is a. I mean, with, with my involvement in the film notwithstanding, it's a great piece of film. Absolutely, you know, a great film. Love and Mercy. Oh, yeah. I saw a documentary the other day on the Style Council. Uh-huh. You didn't see that one? No, but uh, but when I was a kid, I loved the jam. And I saw them, I think, pretty much every time they came to L.A., yeah. uh, which is like maybe like three times. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I yeah. wasn't a big Style Council fan, but um, it was interesting. Not me, me neither. Me neither. But 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 I, I loved, um, if there's a good documentary in the jam, that, that I would be interested in seeing. Paul Weller's a talented guy for sure. Yeah, Will is great. I love his solo work too. Me too. Me too. Final Council just wasn't my cup of tea. Um, yeah. Yes, I heard some great stories. You're, you're a um, musicologist. I'll fill you in on some. Um, I'm very friendly with Michael Shreve, Santana's mm -hmm. old drummer. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we talk, we talk often, you know, and um, he was telling me yesterday that um, back in the you know, late 60s, Jimi Hendrix asked to join the Santana band. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And mm. Cole said, if, I join, if he's here, what do you need me for? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh. I mean, Jimmy just, he played with a lot of different people. I mean, he jammed 
I think as as much as you know, I, th- I just think he loved to play. Yeah, he you wanted know? to be in They're, Santana though. He wanted to be in that band. Incredible. That I didn't know. Incredible. Yeah, you, you know, Mike. You know, I know Michael for decades, and uh, it's the first time he told me that. And I think Michael is friends with uh, uh, my dear friend Pat Thomas. Yes. Um, uh, we have to talk about Pat. Yep. Yeah, I've 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 been in contact. With, I spoke to Michael about Pat yesterday as well. Uh huh. I mean, Pat's a genius, and um, Pat's one of my dear friends, and um, he is uh, again, uh, he's deeply knowledgeable, deeply passionate, um, and Pat and I talk pretty much every day. We just laugh our asses off. Yeah. Um, he's a, a, a wonderful guy, and I actually played a band with him. I know. Yeah, we we have an improv band called Mushroom. Oh yeah, his mother's sick now. I know that. Exactly. Yeah, his mother's ill right now, so I think That's he's. Why, yeah, we're, we're holding off a bit. And, but um, uh, Pat Thomas, love him. Good because um, I have to talk to you offline. I I gotta get some. I need some Pat Thomas ammunition. No problem. I'm having a hard time finding enough. You know, back back background stuff. His book I can I can to quote, to quote our genius. To quote my dear friend, to quote my dear friend, uh, the late Leonard Cohen, I'm your man. Yeah, <laughs> we need to talk about Pat Thomas. But Leonard Co- Leonard Cohen, man, he was. Um, I tell you, you 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 have a lot of uh, you have a lot of good rubbing elbows with the right people. I'll tell you something, Elliot. I got lucky. Um, I you know my love and an immersion in music has pretty much yielded mostly reward, very little bad. Um, yeah. I think part of that, and I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, a, a ton of schmucks in the music business and, mus- and some musicians themselves, because that's obviously true. But I'd like to think that I've stayed um, curious and open. Uh, and every time I've been open to an, an opportunity has come my way. Um, and I, I, I hope that that continues for the rest of my life, because I really, I just, I love music in all its aspects, but performing and being involved in, um, in the creation of, of music. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, my best friend in the world is a guy named Todd Lawrence, um, who, an amazing singer songwriter. He made one album under the name Milo Binder back in 1990. Um, very much like John Prine, Loudon Wainwright, sort of like narrative songwriting. He's a master at that. Uh, and so I'm going to be producing his, uh, and he, he um, has a, a disabled daughter, married, he lives uh, up uh, near, near Portland. Um, and uh, so he was, uh, he made this album in 1990, Milo Binder, I'd highly recommend it. Um, Garth Hudson from the band is on it, uh, I, I'm on it. Um, uh, Milo. Produced, Milo Binder, M- M-I-L-O is the first word, and Binder, B-I-N-D-E-R is the okay. second it, it was taken from Milo Minder Binder, the character from Catch-22 from the book. Anyways, um, so, uh, so Todd made one album. Then a whole series of, of incidents happened. Um, uh, he, had, uh, he got married and his wife gave birth uh, to a daughter that became, that was uh, soon uh, very um, disabled. Uh, and he pretty much had to give up his music career uh, to care for her. So now that uh, she's older, um, and she has, you know, good care. Todd's gotten back into music. So Todd and I wrote um, uh, an album together called, uh, and, and a, a book and a concept thing called Paisley and the Firefly, 
which is like our version of um, like Yellow Submarine meets The Points. Do you ever see The Point, uh, Harry mm -hmm. Nilsson? Yeah. Kind of like a story, like a psychedelic story fable like that with music. Uh, we did that and then uh, we performed it live and then we're doing um, another one right now called uh, The Magic Fuzz Box. And then I'm, I'm going to, uh, to Portland in October to produce uh, Todd's album. He's got enough songs, amazing songs um, for a new album, his second album you know, ever, just since 1990. Uh, and it's gonna be um, engineered by um, my good friend, Victor Krumenacher, who was the bass player in Camper Van Beethoven. Sure. Um, Victor's a super talented guy, uh, musician, uh, producer, um, his, uh, an artist in his own right, just a wonderful guy. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that I've, I've got all these different um, projects and I'm staying musically curious and open and uh, it's only yielding fruit for me. Canis from more than that. What's that? Canis from more than that. Yeah, that's I can't. You know, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate. You know, and and I, and it's funny because the music business tended to be, um, a blessing or a curse to a lot of people. I've known so many people that let it ruin their lives because they're either chasing a dream that they'll never catch, or they hit the dream once and they're never going to hit it again. That kind of a thing. And they just have a hard time living with the situation they're in now. I, I think that's right. Um, one of my dear friends, uh, Peter Lewis, was a guitar player in Moby Grape. Uh -huh. And I, I play I play with Peter um, often over the years. Well, he's a Moby Grape, another band that got ruined. They had three. Well, there that that that's why I brought him up. I mean, he's three, one of my dear great, friends. Great and, guitar and, players. What's that? There's three great guitar players in that band. Three great guitar players, incredible songs. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, again, you know, they, they had the misfortune of, you know, they put out that first album and they released five singles, five at one time. That happened to be released the same weekend that Sgt. Pepper was released. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's mistake number one. And mistake number two, I mean, who in their right mind would think, you know, would think that releasing five singles uh, at once was it was, was a good idea? Mm -hmm. And I think that they were just one of those bands that just the the, uh, the sheer level of talent um, and their inability to like have the time to gel as a band, you know, it just it imploded like quickly and mental illness and drugs and all the other shit that was going on. I always thought Quicksilver was in the same category. Yeah. Although Quicksilver had a little more, they had a little more traction because I think I think Moby Grape had that first album, and then I think you know they made other records, but um, Quicksilver I think went on a little longer. You well, know, they, or, bring Nick, they brought in Nicky Hopkins. They right. In, you know, they had to kind right. of fix it. They had to fix the uh, you know, they had to fix what was going on. But they could have been the biggest band in San Francisco too. Who Quicksilver? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of again a lot of talent. I mean. My, I, I have some friends from San Francisco who saw all the bands that were at, playing at that time. And one of my friends said, easily, Moby Grape was hands down as a live band, the best of them. I mean, I think this was before the, the Dead had kind of like really gotten their thing together as a, as a, as a great, you know, live, you know, exploratory unit. But I think in the beginning, like 66, 67, I think, I think Moby Grape were the kings of that, of that hill. Yeah, you know? and um, um, uh, Codeine, uh, who's saying Codeine? Uh, um, 
about Dino, not Dino Valenti. Um, oh, Sons of Chaplin. Sons of Chaplin, yeah, right. They were right. huge too. For yeah, a lot. In that whole, I mean, so much, you know, I mean, the, the, another thing that, that, um, that I, I think about sometimes is how big were Jefferson Airplane? They were huge. Hey, well, they, they were the San Francisco band. They huge, were, yeah. huge. I mean, I just listened to uh, the first two albums in mono incredible if you haven't heard surrealistic pillow in mono it's like hearing it for the first time yeah. now that's an example of all the reverb and all the kind of like the the atmosphere is 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 not there in the mono mix but it's better it's tougher it makes it they're almost like a nuggets like garage band uh the mono mix of, of surrealistic pillow incredible sounding but the thing that i always uh, i always thought about is as big a band as they were Ask a modern band, no modern band, no indie rock band, no psychedelic alternative. Nobody cites the airplane as an influence. And it's always been sad to me because I love them. I'm, I'm a fan, big fan. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. The airplane was the number one San Francisco band. People, For sure. People just think of the Grateful Dead as being it. But the, the, the dead were, you know, they weren't up, you know, they were, they had to creep their it way It took up. the dead a while to, to, yeah. to start, like once, you know, Working Man's Dead and American Beauty, and then they started getting their reputation as a great live band. But I think up until 70, the airplane were it, for sure. I don't know if they had the same thing on the um, West Coast, or if you were too young or whatever, but um, I saw the um, I saw the airplane at the Fillmore East. Mm -hmm. And uh, Graham had this giant jet built. Mm. And hung from the uh, you know the ceiling going down the aisles. And yeah. When it came on, you heard the roar of these engines, of these jet engines, and then you saw this jet coming down the uh, you know coming right down the center of the Fillmore, and mm -hmm. then boom, the airplane was there, you know. And wow. every time he played, he kept that going. It was pretty cool. Wow. No, I was too young. I was born in 1963. I mean, I well, I got into all this older music in the mid to late 70s when nobody was interested i mean none of my none of my friends except for one or two um were even interested in 60s music everybody you know it, it, when i was 13 14 15 when i was really like you know when i met marvin and, and just before um everybody was into the punk new wave stuff which i was interested in too only Wendy serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Um, or the like heavy metal, which I was not interested in, progressive progressive rock, which I generally wasn't interested in, with with a few exceptions. Um, but like 
60s music like the Beach Boys, the Beatles, the Buffalo Springfield, Booker T and the MGs, Airplane, Bob Dylan, Motown. None of my friends, the Birds, none of my friends were into that stuff. Were into that stuff except for, like I said, me and a couple other people. Right. So it was a it was a very solitary pursuit. Um, my my dear friend, best friend at the time, Dave Sawyer, so I'm still still one of my best friends. Um, he was a total Anglophile. In the mid 70s, he was into bands like Straubs, uh, Procol Harum, Steel Ice Span, Fairport Convention. I guarantee you there was no 15 year old kid at my high school who was into that music except for him. Great bands. Great bands, but we all discovered this stuff. Like you go, that's when I met Marvin at Aaron's Records across the street now, from my high school, Fairfax High. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, you're, uh, you, you know a lot about music. How did you learn about it? I'll tell you how I did. Me and my friends would go to the uh, um, magazine shop. I'd buy a Rolling Stone. One guy would buy, you know, a Crawdaddy. One guy would buy Spin. And, you know, and we sit there and just, okay, you know, pass it around, you know. And the next yeah, thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, very, very similar. Yeah, I organic. Mean, I, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, you know, the stuff that like that was being played on FM radio in the mid 70s uh -huh. when I was getting into, when I was becoming a music fan, like, I mean, when Led Zeppelin, you know, came out or not came out, this is after mid 70s, when I first started hearing them, um, I liked some of it, some of it I didn't like. It took, I mean, I was a Yardbirds fan. Me too. So I was, uh, you know, the, I came to Led Zeppelin from the Yardbirds, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, we'd hear music. My brother was um, not really into music. He had some records. We had like the second Bee Gees album. We had like the second Joe Cocker album, Inagata DeVita. We had like a few albums that my brother was into, but he was mostly into sports. You know, mm -hmm. I got into music completely on my own. Um, you know, buying records, you could get them back then for like at errands, you could buy, they had a 29 cent rack, they had a 99 cent rack. You could buy albums for very cheap back then. And when you're a high school kid and you don't have any money, like that's, you know, that's what, that's what we would do. We'd go, go to school, cut go out, across, cut what's out, that? Cut out bins. Yeah, the cut out, right, exactly. And so we kind of amassed our collections and our love of music from, either like seeing an interesting cover, uh, reading, you know, in like music books, you know, like the Rolling Stone record guide came out back then. Uh, that was a big one for us. Cause like we, you know, start going through, oh, like what's Procol Harum? What's Astro Weeks by Van Morrison? What's Love Supreme by John Coltrane? What's Green River by Creedence Clearwater? Like we would like read about these records and you could get them back then for like next to nothing. You know, what's In a Silent Way by Miles Davis? Like, well, what is that? You know, and then like you, you take the records home and it's just like, uh, that's where I wanted to live musically. The modern stuff or at that time, the modern stuff, like the progressive rock stuff. Yeah, some of it was okay, but most of it I had no interest in. Here's the another, older stuff. Here's another great story for you. We're talking about Prague. Um, Lenny White, you know Lenny. Mm -hmm. Drummer, yep. Lenny told me the story. Um, a, a Romantic Warrior just came out, you know, Return to Forever. Yeah. And he's in England, and um, he loved Yes. I was Lenny never, White did. Yeah, I was never a big Yes fan, but anyway. I, me neither. I only liked one album by them, the Yes yeah. album. Anyway, um, Lenny's sitting in the uh, in um, around with all the guys from Yes and their wives, and um, they're listening to Return to Return to Forever. <laughs> and um, Steve Howe's wife says, "This is a brilliant album. How long did it take you guys to do it?" 
And when he said um, it took uh, um, eight days, whatever it was. <laughs> right. He says eight days. It takes these guys nine months to get the snare drum to sound right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, later on, I spoke to the engineer, uh, Dennis McKay, who was the engineer you know, in the studios there. And I was telling him the story. He says, you know what? I remember that. Wow. So I remember them taking months to get the snare. He said, I knew how to get it right. But we were getting paid by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's different, right? It was like... Um, That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. So, um, man. But it was great. It takes them nine months to get a snare to sound right. And it was that's like, true. I mean, that, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's why, I mean, I think I tend to gravitate towards music, you know, prior to the, to the seventies. I mean, I love a lot of seventies music too, but, but the fifties and the sixties for me, in terms of popular music, um, that's kind of my sweet spot. You know, the, the, there's, they, they hadn't figured it out yet. You know what I mean? There's a spontaneity to that music that I just, I mean, I listened to the, uh, the the second Little Richard album a couple of days ago and it just explodes. Yeah. It just explodes. There's nothing flabby about it. There's nothing, there's no 10 minute operas. It just, it hits you in the kishkas and you're like, you're done. Like, but golly, Miss Molly. Hmm? I listened to the first two Fats Domino records over the weekend. There you go. I mean, what's better than that? You know, like, I, I like, you can say things progressed, maybe, but did they get any more primal? Did they get any more exciting? Mm. You know, you listen like I listened a lot Lightning Hopkins a few days ago. I'm sorry, you know, Emerson Lake and Palmer, there's no answer to fucking Lightning Hopkins or Helen Wolf, you know, to me. Yeah, Wolf, Wolf is the man. The man, my favorite blues artist of all he time, did, bar, none. Wolf, wolf. bar none. Bar none. I don't know. Yeah. Muddy Waters gets the uh, credit, but Wolf. Is uh, I love Muddy. I love. I do too. But Wolf's the man. The man, for sure. He really for sure. is the Slim Harpo. Love uh, Slim. Yeah. Love him. These are the guys. Um, Jimmy yeah. Reed. I mean, Hooker, Johnny Hooker. Yeah, that's. I you know I, I I don't know like is is you know, is some big is Dark Side of the Moon better? You know, it's different, <laughs> but it's not better to me. No. The, the idea that like we progress. I've never been one to, you know, to subscribe to a theory that of music somehow. I, I think it's different. And I think things move, it, like when rock and roll became rock, it became a different thing. Not a better thing, not a worse thing, a different thing, became, you know? It, it, became, um, 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 it became an item to sell. It's, it's yeah yeah and again there I, i'm not i'm not bagging on the whole enterprise i just think for me you know i tend to i like i like when things are like in their infancy mm. um, i like when things are really um like when you haven't quite you know and marvin and i are really we're, we we always try really hard to not over egg our recordings you know it's like right when you think okay well we can put more stuff on it we go no hands off you know because we want we want the listener to fill in the space with their own stuff rather than spoon feed every musical idea that you can you know um my daughter is now like really getting into nirvana my 13 year old daughter i have i have boy girl twins and so i took her to amoeba to the record store you know she's now getting into records and stuff 
and she bought she she's really into like like big loud aggressive guitar rock she loves the deftones and she's really now really big into nirvana so i bought her nirvana nevermind and i bought her in utero and i mean they sound great you know nirvana nevermind's great but it's like from like from the first song you know to you know to the last it's like it's just like it's non-stop guitar yeah. like non-stop well wrong. well actually actually i, I I'm, I'm sorry not nirvana nirvana is different because they actually have um uh, um you know more dynamics it was another band i think it was the deftones where it's just like it's brick wall guitars there's like 50 guitars playing at once and it's like you know i mean i sound like an old like an old man but it's just like after a while it's ear fatigue like I like to have music that has some dynamic range yeah. to it. Well, um, do you do, does you listen to the balancing act? Should you listen to your stuff? No, I you know I don't I don't foist my own work on my kids. Uh, it'd be interesting to play it. Not what, she, one day if she starts to like, in, but, but in, you know, and not tell her it's you. Yeah, yeah. I, I right now I don't. I, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> my, right now I don't think she'd be into it. But maybe someday, you know. That's what I would have done. <laughs> but you know what? They like the Holy Brothers. They because yeah. they've seen us, because they've seen more like when we went to Canada, when Marvin and I played the Calgary Folk Festival uh in summer of 2017, when the kids were little and we took them, schlepped them all around the the, the grounds and stuff, they were, you know, they, and then they saw that we were playing to like thousands of people. They were like, Dad, this is pretty cool, you know. Nice, nice. And um, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, it'd be interesting. It'd be an interesting experiment. Um, yeah. I've been listening. You know, I, I have an entertainment company. We do weddings and things too. That's how I kind of paid my bills. And yeah. I cannot understand new music. <laughs> I can't understand it. There's no hook. There's, it's like. It's, you know what it is, Elliot? I mean, and again, I'm, I'm going to be very sort of judicious here. Um, there is some new music that I hear that I that I do love. Right. But but I will say this like like um have you heard Janelle Monet? She's not new, she's a few years old. But every time she puts something out, I love it. I think she's, you know, like like she's like, you know, like a female prince to me. Mm -hmm. Um I don't you know, I don't love um everything Prince did, but enough of it was like fucking genius, you know, music. Um but what I'm what I'm trying to say is this modern pop is is largely junk yeah largely billy eilish i put in a different category because there's you know yeah i, I, I think i put her in with the amy winehouses and yeah yeah exactly right exactly yeah, right Adele's. right exactly right but but the um the vast majority of radio music now is very cookie cutter it's very formulaic it's the same like six chords and it has a shelf life and as and right so like uh, you know who's going to be listening to that in five ten years you know six weeks in six weeks exactly like my kids the stuff that they listened to when they were five, seven eight years old zero interest it's like they don't care about it but you know what my daughter's into i'll tell you what my kids are into first of all my son hates guitar rock except for the beatles he he he, he and izzy have opposite musical taste my kid is my son is into like He's into the R&B type stuff, but my daughter, she loves Frank Sinatra. Whoa. She loves Etta James. She loves um, Doris Day, Patti Page, uh, um, Duke Ellington, uh, like 
and this is not stuff that I like foisted upon them. Like she goes, dad, um, do, do we have any albums by Doris Day? I'm like, Doris Day, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? She said, yeah, because I'll tell you why. TikTok is like, has revived all old music. Yeah. You know? So like, if I'm playing something, she'll go, oh, I, I, I know that from TikTok. Wow, you, you're talking about um, Eddie James. Um, yeah. Robin Martin, the keyboard player in the Zappa band. Yep. He was Eddie's music director. Wow, wow. Yeah, she was great. I saw her, oh man, there was a great uh, jazz show years ago in the 80s uh, in, in LA at, in, in Watts. They used to have this uh, thing called the Watts Music Festival. Watts and they had, they had a music tribute, uh, a, tri a birthday celebration of uh, Eric Dolphy the great jazz uh, saxophonist and, flute and flautist composer, played with Charles Mingus and stuff. Dolphy was from LA. Mingus was from LA. Ornette Coleman was from Texas, but came to LA and, and you know became kind of like, he formed, he found a sound here in LA. His drummer, Billy Higgins from LA, Don Cherry from LA. Um, so they, they basically paid Horace Tapscott, incredible jazz composer, um, Butch Morris, all these great LA jazz artists, Etta James played at this thing. She grew up here too. Um, and just like the level of talent, Etta James, I mean, back then, oh my God, killed it. This was like 35 years ago. Incredible. Right up to the end, she was, she was incredible. Incredible. I caught her at BB Kings a few times. Yeah, I bet she was great. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, yep. Wow. Just amazing, and um, and you are you're a, you're just a, a a treasure trove of info. You, you really you see, <laughs> like, all the LA stuff you're just talking about. That is just you know I I, I haven't gotten to that. You know, there's just a yeah. stuff that I delved into, and um, well, a whole other conversation. I have to talk to you when we're all through here. Um, in fact, I'm going to say goodbye now, but I don't want you to go away. And we're going to be picking this up at another date. But um, stay with me. No problem. Thank you so much, Elliot. No, don't go anywhere. Okay, it's off. Okay, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, good. We're, we're not recording now. Okay. Um, I just got a text from uh, Shreve while we were talking. Oh, yeah? Um, hey, I just spoke to Pat Thomas. He said he's talking to you. Let's do a, a round table. Oh, bitching. How about you? You want to get in on it? Yeah, definitely. Okay. It's funny, he's rolling just like two minutes ago. And uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, um, this is the important thing. Um, try to make it on to Monday's meeting because- I'd love to, I would love to. I'll tell you what, David Jackson should be on. Okay. David's son works at Abbey Road now. He was one of um, George Martin's uh, protégés. No shit, wow. And, and he's still at EMI. And um, Michael will be on, I think. Todd Cochran is on the keyboard player. By oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. By 80 from Automatic Man. Mm -mm. Okay, Automatic Man. Anyway, Todd's a big jazz guy. Great. Um, uh, he's put out an album. Um, John Altman is on. I want you to talk to John. John has done 4,000 commercials in the UK. No kidding. Wow, great. That's just, that's just the little things he's done. He's won Grammys for, um, he's worked, he played sax. Jimi Hendrix played bass and Peter Green played lead guitar in a band they were in. Wow. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. You know, Altman was Amy Winehouse's arranger. He um, he's worked with everybody. He you'll see he has like a thousand gold albums on his wall. When you, wow, amazing! Yeah, um, there's some really cool guys on, and there's no airs, there's no scripts, and everybody just bullshits for now. That's great. I love it. Yeah, love and it. I I kept telling Marvin to get young, but he <laughs> I, I don't you know Marvin was on once or twice, and he um and he comes and goes, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, so this one I'm coming to you direct. Who else should they be on this one? Oh, I think Patrick Gleason, the synth player. Oh yeah, sure, I've heard. Kirby Hancock, yeah. you know, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. um, all legitimate guys. Great. If I That's could get great. a band together with the people on, it would be a killer band. Uh, that'd be great. Awesome. Yeah, and that's um, you know, I'm trying to get some of the mothers to come on the original mothers of invention. Well, you know, um, my my one of my best friends, Martin Berman, is uh, Don Preston and Bunk Gardner's attorney. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, that's funny. Uh, we, um, I have I have a uh, an improv band with uh, my buddy DJ Bonebreak from X, uh, mm -hmm. um, the drummer, and uh, my friend John Mormon who plays guitar, Matthew Sweet. Uh, we opened for um, essentially the Grandmothers, which is Don Preston and oh. Bunk Gardner, and when they did Uncle Meat. In soundcheck, I heard Don playing and I go, God damn it, Don wrote Uncle Meat. I know it. I, I mean, I, he's not credited, but I know hearing Don, you know, hearing how great of a player he is, and I've seen him play in a bunch of other situations. I'm sure he wrote a bunch of stuff that Zappa took credit for. Yeah, he did. Well, there was no, no way that he didn't. No, I know, I know Don and I know Bunk and I know Ian Underwood very well. I, I love that. that see, to me, that's the Zappa band that I love. Yeah, me too. I don't care about the later guys so much. It's a little bit too, too, you know, sterile for me. Yeah, yeah, the, exactly. The yeah. early Mothers uh, up to the original, you know, Mothers band, and then Hot Rats, Weasels, Burt Weenie, all that stuff. Once it's the mid seventies, it's not for me. No, I thought you know, I, you know, I used to work with uh, Flo and Eddie, Mark and Howard. Oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, they they wound up with Zappa before I knew them. Right. I hooked up with them. You know, I thought that was, it was good. It was a comedy shtick for a while, you know, it was, but no, once the mothers, the original mothers broke up, it, it, that was it. Um, that was it. Yeah, I'm going to try to get Bunk on with us and Don. Oh, yeah. And Ian, they, they, they come and go, you know, they pop in and out. They, they don't know how to use Zoom. <laughs> I said, Bunk, you can make that fucking saxophone park your car. You can have that <laughs> saxophone park your car, but you can't so hit, hit the damn Zoom switch. So if his wife's not home, he can't get on. <laughs> oh my God, these guys. And I know Don is like, God, must be in his late 80s, but Don looks, they both look great. 89, the two of them. Unbelievable. And they play tennis. They fight over tennis. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, um, incredible. Um, you know, um, uh, I, 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 years ago, I did a show with the Balancing Act played with um, a couple of the guys in Captain Beefheart's band. Oh yeah, John John French, the drummer. Yeah, yeah I know Drumbo. Un unfortunately, though, like like I think he tried to friend me or something. I started looking at his Facebook page. He's super right wing. Oh my god, I think he's a total like conspiracy Trumper nut job. Who Drumbo? Drumbo, I think yeah, so. And he lives out in Lancaster. Get, yeah, we don't get into that. You know what? The yeah, captain, good. The captain used to beat them up. Yeah, I know. No, he was he was horrible to them. I, that I know. Yeah. That, no, he was yeah, horrible. Um, yeah, I know Drumbo. Um, I know our trip. Ed Mann came from that whole shit. right. Um, Ed's Ed's daughter died the other night. Um, oh my God, I'm so sorry to hear that. Seven shit, alcohol. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so he's a little. But um, it's great, Elliot. It's great that you've got this whole network and community of of all these great musicians, though, man. That's wonderful. It's all legacy guys. These are the guys that I hooked up with. It's um, fantastic. I spoke to Dave Rubinson last week. About, no, about last month. Oh, no kidding! Wow. That. Well, he produced the Moby Grape album for the yeah. first one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's still around. Yeah, he's living in France now. He has, he's living on a sustainable farm. Um, Fred Katera, who was his engineer, I'm friendly with. Mm -hmm. Wow. Fred's in his 90s now. Jesus, man. And um, you know, he, he likes to talk to me because he wants me to um, keep his name around when he's gone. He wants people to know what he's done. And um, oh, you know what? I'll tell you something. What, this is a funny thing. One of my dearest friends, you should look him up. His name is Nigel Sinclair. Um, Nigel is probably the best pr film producer of music documentaries on the planet. Really? He produced the Bee Gees documentary that was just out on HBO. He and Ron Howard did Eight Days a Week, the Beatles documentary. Um, they did a, sorry, Master, they did a No Direction Home, Dylan. He produced that as well. Um, they're doing, they did one on Pavarotti a couple of years ago. They're doing one now on Crosby, Sills and Nash. Uh, Billy Preston. If you look up Nigel Sinclair, you'll see. Like I I'm in a band with him. Uh, he he. We have like an amateur band called the Was, where um, Jackson Brown's drummer Fritz, me, and a couple other people um, play. We play Rolling Stone songs and other stuff for because Nigel's a huge Stones fan. But um, Nigel, when he worked on the Eight Days a Week, uh, a Beatles film, he's a very he's a proper English, you know, gentleman Scottish. But but he goes um, he goes, Will, you wouldn't believe it but these people are actually afraid that they're going to be forgotten. Yeah. I mean, you know, all the guys in the Beatles, they are they, they, as, as huge as they are, and there's nobody bigger, right? They have a fear that, they're, that their artistic legacy is going to be forgotten. And I'll tell you why they think that too. Have you noticed, ask a young person about Elvis Presley. Nobody gives a shit about Elvis Presley anymore. Nobody. You can you can get his albums for nothing. Memorabilia. No Elvis impersonators. Nobody cares. Nobody hires them. No. It's almost like, almost like Buddy Holly is more, is bigger. Sinatra is has a bigger legacy. Yeah, um, and I think I think Colonel Tom Parker ruined Elvis's artistic legacy. By making him do those shitty Hollywood movies and making him do all that cheesy shit, I, I think people look at Elvis now, they don't see an artist. No, and you know, um, I'm very friendly with Artie Kornfeld. Yeah, you told me, right. Very friendly. I talked to Artie, you know, five times a week. And, and Artie said to me, you know, what was last month? Um, you know, Woodstock, it's all Woodstock, you know, blah, 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 blah. Woodstock is the anniversary. I said, already, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> I said, you know, although I don't know. I don't know. What's that? That's a different story, I think. I think well, they had that stupid Woodstock anniversary with uh, with uh, Michael Lang. And they yeah, but that but they, I don't I don't think that was well organized. It wasn't, but it ruined the name. It just ruined oh, I see. Yeah. You know, yeah. I talked to everybody. You know, David Cohen's supposed to be from from Country Joe. He's yeah. supposed to be doing a uh, interview with me. Um, but he wasn't even at Woodstock. You know, he didn't play at Woodstock. Right, right. And, um, yeah, Woodstock's an interesting, it's an interesting legacy. Like, um, 
my, you know, well, we were in um, my my girlfriend's cousins live in in um, Massachusetts in Western Mass near near uh, the New York border. So she'd never been to Woodstock, so I took her uh, a couple months ago. And you know, it's a cute little town. Then it has a great recording studio, and there's a nice little music community there and stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I think I think you your your legacy, the way you protect your legacy, has everything to do with how you're going to be seen. I think the Beatles are really smart in that they've, even though whatever I might whatever we may think about the Harrison box, notwithstanding, there they'll always be. I think for the end of time, they'll be like Mozart or Beethoven. Yeah. I think they'll be always, you know. I think the um, I think the Stones overplay their hand. I think so too. They, they definitely did. Um, the Who, luckily, their stuff's been licensed so many times that p the young kids now, they know won't get fooled again because of CSI or whatever, or a commercial. The Stones, I'm not sure about. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 it's, it's but Dylan for sure will. The, Dylan and the Beatles, I think, when all is said and done, I think they will be the two biggest legacy artists of our time you know but they have people but they have people who are jeff rosen uh, dylan's manager does a great job with that bootleg series he makes sure bob is in the spotlight all the fucking time so yeah only wendy serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg cheese and your choice of bacon or sausage did we mention the part where wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery wendy's breakfast biscuits hot and buttery so don't take a chance with those other guys bet on a better breakfast with wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit choose wisely choose wendy's at participating u.s wendy's during breakfast hours Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments. Where bold moves require confident blueprints. Where you can accelerate transformation through consistency. Where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at saic.com cloud. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.